Hey everyone, welcome to Pieces of You, a show about life through the lens of four fierce and resilient women who lost their moms too damn soon. Each episode will feature stories to inspire hope, healing, and connection. Because if we work together, we can make the broken better. Hey everyone, this is Christine. I am so excited to be with you all today. We are going to be diving into the topic of the mother wound, our stories. This is part one of a four-part series. Before we get started, I want to remind you that this episode contains a content warning related to the topic of mother loss. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description. How is everyone doing today? So good. I feel like we just had an amazing conversation as hosts. Just a lot of exciting things happening in all of our lives and with the podcast. So I feel like my energy is through the roof, plus my coffee has kicked in. <laughs> nice. Same. I was going to say my heart is pounding as you know, per usual with the anxiety excitement, but it's definitely more excitement today. I'm on my second cup of matcha, keeping in mind that each cup has had like heaping tablespoons of matcha powder, which I think is several servings. I'm a little (laughs) concerned that I have to do more research, but I think it actually might be hard on the liver to (laughs) own that much Mm -hmm. matcha, but I'm feeling possibly, possibly, but I feel amazing. Is there caffeine in matcha? See, that's where I wish I could... Is it straight caffeine? I know it makes you feel energetic. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. It's green tea. It's green tea. Oh, so yes, so there it is. does have a caffeine content. Oh, I did not mm-hmm. know. Not nearly, not as high as coffee, but yes, green tea has caffeine content. Black tea has the most and then green tea and then white tea. And then- oh my gosh. I call it like a cleaner kind of energy, not like to make it sound better, but just like a... Whatever makes you feel better, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, Sarah. <laughs> Like a cleaner, like not as it's intense, but there's like the smoothness, you don't crash and there's like a high, almost like a little bit of a euphoria with it. Well, caffeine is a drug. I need to revisit tea. <laughs> I, you know what you guys, you know how many times I've tried to like tea and I'm like, I just can't do it. I'm a coffee That's person. Fine. That's great. Same. Yeah. I'm like, like, I love yoga. I should be able to have tea with my (laughs) That could be a new yeah, that's like kind of goes against the grain, but there's so many of you, you know, yoga, coffee (laughs) kind of stores. Do you like fancy coffee or I like it all. No, I like, you know, middle middle of the road and fancy. I don't like like folders. Like I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) Ew, David, no folders. (laughs) Or like church basement coffee no. <laughs> you know the coffee i'm talking about yeah. you'd have in like the fellowship like at a potluck like a church <laughs> coffee was it was that coffee or no coffee yeah would that would do? be no coffee i would oh, take coffee. no coffee over the church basement coffee exactly. well i guess if they had cream and sugar i could still i could cover it up and i could still depends how desperate i am but you need the caffeine. i don't think i can do it Okay. I don't know. Cause it's so, it's like watery. That's what I think of like. It's yeah. Just not, yeah. <laughs> it's watery and tastes burned. It's like burned bean water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You guys, we ha- are coming off 
really an amazing interview with Hope Edelman. And that was our last episode. And today we are laying the foundation for our upcoming episodes where we will be talking about specific ways that the mother wound often shows up for girls and women. So episode two will focus on values, episode three on body image, and then in episode four, we'll discuss the aftermath. But before we jump in, I think it's really important to define this concept of mother wound. I like to start by asking all of you to explain how you would describe the mother wound. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Can I go first? Absolutely. Okay. I love the concept of the mother wound. Love? Is that the right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. So (laughs) my definition comes directly, and I, I, you probably have this somewhere, Christine, written down in your outline, but my definition, what I feel the most in myself is a definition by the holistic psychologist, Nicole LaPera from an Instagram post that she made. This is actually a while ago, but so the mother wound being the unhealed emotional wounds and trauma of a mother unintentionally passed down to her child. And so considering it as generational, unintentionally passed down, that's the definition that speaks to me the most. Mm. Nice. That's very succinct too. I love it. Yes. Good job, Erin. She got, I know she won. She got, she did. I got an A. A plus plus. (laughs) That's not what I thought at all though. And I just want to, yeah, Shadia either. It sounds like. Okay, go, go. I mean, I just came so ill-prepared for this, but I feel like it's a little bit more raw because I assume our our listeners generally don't know what it means either. So I feel like I'm just like one of them right now. I did not know it meant that. I actually assumed it meant the wound that we carry. Well, I guess this is true, that a daughter carries from the loss of her mother, but that's not at all what it means. So just Mm. go with Mm. Aaron's. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> well, I picture like a gaping wound, like a hole. And I'm like, that is the mother wound. It's the, it's the loss or the, or if it's not a loss, maybe it's a loss of a sense of, or a expectation of, you know, what you thought that relationship should look like. So if they're still alive, even like it's that like longing for a mother these are all definitely part of the mother wound though. I mean, so you're not, you're definitely not wrong at all. Both of you. And honestly, Shadia, what you said about not having your mom, I mean, or your mom dying, that, that actual loss, that is mother wound for you and will likely be something that you are, that wound is being passed on to your girls Mm -hmm. and any children that they have. So, I mean, that is something that unintentionally, right? And it's not male intention. It's nothing you're doing purposely to hurt them, right? But it's part of your story that will be passed on to them. What I love about this conversation already is that I love when we can hit a broad audience and that it just isn't for the dead moms club, right? This is like holistic of mothers. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally just like, wait, wound, like in my mind, I was like, wound equals death, loss, like nothing else is wound. 
But now, so I'm like, what other types of wounds are there? And now I'm really scared actually, because I'm, I'm going to be identifying them in the here and now in myself and then fearing being like, oh shit, this is what I, I'm just hoping nothing jumps out and surprises me. I am in therapy. I'm aware of, you know, a lot of my wounds, but they're hard to look at sometimes and to know that, yeah, you are affecting other people. Yes. Yes. I'm actually going to give a couple of other definitions here. I'm going to paraphrase. And one of them I loved so much. I'm actually going to read it because I just was like, oh my gosh, it added for me, it added an element that I hadn't considered before. And this is something I have thought about a lot because of the holistic psychologist. I'm actually not going to be offering a definition that she has created, but a couple others. And Sarah, I do also just before I move on, I want to acknowledge that definitely this is something for people that still have a living mother. You know, it absolutely applies to people who still have living mothers. So when I give this definition, I also want to say that it can apply to sons. There can be a mother wound between a son and a mother, though often we identify it between a daughter and mother because it really is impacted by the construct of our patriarchal society. So it's really fascinating as we talk more, but there are expectations of how women are meant to be in our society because of the patriarch that impacts how we are as women and then how we mother and how the next generation of women grow into mothers. Does that make sense? I feel like you guys are like, what? Yes, that's not where I thought you were going with yes. that. Like you, when you went, you went to the like real root of it with the patriarchy there. I was thinking, oh, it affects, you know, mothers and daughters because daughters identify so much more often. So with their mothers and so just, they would be most impacted in that sense was my, but you look at the larger systemic also factors of the patriarchy and how those social and cultural norms and expectations are what guide and dictate the behaviors and how we relate and treat one another. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to start with this first definition that I came across in my research and it's from psychology today. And it was, this article was written by a licensed clinical social worker, Sherry Gabba. And she presents it as the best way to think about the mother wound is a loss or lack of mothering. And that it can be a deficit between the mother-daughter or mother-son relationship that is passed down through generations and is often a reflection of how we have experienced parenting and how we parent. She talks specifically about when a mother is an addict, um, an alcoholic, has mental health issues that either are diagnosed or undiagnosed, treated or untreated. And then she says how that can some, you know, that can impact how a mother mothers, right? But she also says that even if a mom is meeting the physical needs of a child, if they are in, in, in a positive way, I should say, even if there's still a connection lacking, that can still create mother wound. Okay. 
So for me, that's like really basic. I do think that, you know, I appreciate how she brings the intergenerational concept because for me, that's like key in this as we define it. So I I guess before I move on to this next quote that I'm actually going to read, I'd love to know like initial thoughts. Does this feel comfortable? Like from what we've already talked about, it makes sense. The one thing I'm thinking about, as you said, a loss or lack of mothering in my head, I feel like it can be overly motherling, mothering yeah. as well, right? Like absolutely mothering. controlling, yes, manipulative, you know, like psychological things that a mother. So I, I think it's not as easy as like my mom was an alcoholic and she wasn't there for me, and therefore I feel X, Y, and Z. I think it can be just. I think it can go the other direction as well. Yes, absolutely. Agree. Anyone else have thoughts before I move on? Well, I think too about, you know, a parent's expectation to meet the needs of their child and how it's, we're splitting it into both the physical and emotional categories, but how more complex I think it is than that. And I'm just curious, like what, you know, I'm not a parent yet. And I, I'm already feeling so overwhelmed at the thought of having, like, I want to meet all the needs of my future children. And to know that I, first of all, I know that I should mentally prepare that that's not going to happen, but to know which ones to kind of focus on, like which are most important, that would be helpful. And I just feel like it's so, it feels so complex and so overwhelming. Like, to meet the needs of these small humans um, in all ways, physically, emotionally, like is there a spiritually, you know, because you think of us as adults, all of our needs and how that translates. One of the things that I was thinking about in the course of researching and writing, writing some of my thoughts down was, I don't know if this speaks to it, what you're saying, Sarah, but it's like, I don't know anyone that doesn't have a mother wound, right? (laughs) Like we are all going to experience this. And if we choose to have children, we are all going to pass some things along that are going to manifest as a mother wound to some extent. I mean, I just, and also I'll say, you know, when you're talking about meeting children's needs, I just don't know if there is a, a manual we can create because everyone is so unique, right? And, and we really have to, parent to that individual child too. You know, I have four kids. It's, it's very different how I interact with all four of them. I mean, for sure, some of it is the same, right? But because they're all so different, how we address issues, it, it varies between all of them. Yeah. You like really have to be present to even realize those subtle differences and yeah, to be thoughtful in how you interact and treat them differently. I feel like it would be much easier to have just a blanket approach, you know, with like all the kids and that might not be the best for everyone. I also feel like it's, I associate the word wound with bad, like they are one in the same in my head. And I almost want to challenge that because I think that's something that's making me scared to have kids. This idea that I'm aware I have so much wound, like wounding, so many wounds. How will I not pass that down? You know, and so to kind of assure 
I would feel better if someone was like, oh, well, that's not bad. It's okay. (laughs) I think saying, how can I not pass that down is maybe not the healthiest framework for yourself because as Christine said, you will. We all will. And I think that it comes down to being aware of that, right? Like, yeah, I was thinking that I was like awareness. That's what I was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's it's constant effort for me with my girls to try and not. And I see it. I see it come through every day. Like those wounds are there and they are present and it takes a lot of control to shut them down. But it happens. And you, you, I think I think as long as, well, But that's for me, what you're saying not to do. Like you're saying that's an unhealthy mindset to like, to, to, to think, how do I not? Cause like, like you're saying they do come up as a parent and they come up. And so it's like, what do you do when they like, how, yeah. How do you manage that? Well, I guess I'm just, I'm saying that I know they're there and they're like usually on the tip of my tongue or even my body language. And so for me, I just have to be aware. And yeah, I do control. It's it's not not my children's fault. I have trauma and my mom did X, Y, and Z. And it's not just because she died. Like there was things that happened before she died. It's not like just, you know what I mean? I think for all of us probably. So I think it's, for me, it's creating a safe environment for my children. As long as they know that they are safe, that's my number one goal. And that's like mentally, physically, whatever else. And the rest of my mother wounds will come up, but I just need to always have them know that they are safe. That's like, I went on a tangent there. No, I I appreciate that. I love what you just said. I do want to acknowledge that I'm going to talk a little bit more here. And then I am going to ask each of you while I'm speaking to start thinking about what those mother wounds are. A couple of them, maybe I can start so that you're, you get an idea of what I'm getting at. So just so you know that that's something that we're, we are going to touch on a little later in the episode. Okay. So Shadia, like when you're talking about, there are things that you're aware of that you're not, you know, necessarily letting come out. I want you to talk to the specifics of those things. Aaron's face right now. I, sorry, I've just, I've been like, yeah, go, go. <laughs> like, there. I just, I, I have like all these reactions, like good, like in my body reactions to like everything everyone is saying, like, because I think the mother wound is like all of these things. It applies to literally everybody because generational trauma is so real. It is literally in our DNA. It is in our DNA and it's so prominent and it affects how we act in the world, how we show up in our relationships, how we parent. It's wild. And so I feel like I know like a lot about the mother wound and I've explored it because of my healing journey, especially within the last year or two. So a lot of my journey is like, and what I talk about in therapy a lot is like, this kind of generational trauma, like trauma that I've experienced from like, like my relationship with my dad, things that have come up with like my relationship with my mom and everything. And since her death and because she died, that trauma is compounded. It's like the death compounds the, the mother wound 
for me, that's how it feels. It makes it more complicated. It makes it more complex. It makes it harder to break cycles, I feel like, because that person isn't there to like go through the healing journey with you or, you know, you can't access their thoughts or their feelings anymore, you know? And so the listeners don't know this. Also, you guys have known this for a while. At the time of recording this, I'm actually five and a half months pregnant. And so <laughs> that's that gives been me a- chills. Um, which is which is January, mid-January. Um, I'm due in May. And so <laughs> yeah, the mother wound has shown up for me a lot. And Sarah, you you talk a lot about like kind of this like being scared to have kids and everything. And I'm absolutely terrified. But I feel like I'm not terrified in the way that like normal people, I put quotes around that, normal people <laughs> like uh, are terrified. I'm terrified of like these really big existential trauma inflicted things. Like, you know, I know some of the things about how my mom was parented, traumas that she endured, her relationship with my dad, other relationships, things that happened before I was born, things that happened as I was growing up and how she tried to change some things, but sometimes it didn't work. And I know all of these things. And so because the death has compounded. And then also, I mean, we all have complicated relationships with our fathers too. I'm, you know, I'm terrified. We don't know the gender of the baby and we're not finding out. We're not finding out the sex until they're born, but it's something where people have been like, oh, do you want a girl or a boy more? And I'm like, well, my like reaction is, well, I don't really care. Like we're just having a baby. That's, that's exciting. That's all we wanted. But to be completely honest, and I don't think I've said this out loud before to anyone, I'm terrified either way. I'm terrified to have a girl because I'm afraid of the ways in which my trauma can influence her, how I might be overbearing because of my desire to have this relationship with her. I'm terrified to have a boy because I grew up as an only child in like a female household. I don't know how that works. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I spent so many years with like terrible relationships with men because I didn't know how to have healthy relationships with them. So it's like, I'm terrified either way because of generational trauma and the mother wound. And it's wild living it in real time. But I'm also really thankful that like, I have already started healing these and uncovering these wounds because of the work that I did in order to prepare myself to even think about having a child. And it was very intentional on mine and my partner's part because I am terrified and I had to take it really slowly. And yeah, it was really hard and it still is hard. So Aaron, I just have to tell you, I so relate. I was like shaking my head, like, oh my God. When I was pregnant with Autumn, we didn't find out what her gender was until she was born. And I, I did not want a girl. I actually did not want a girl because I was like, I know that I am going to like place expectations on this little person to have something with me that I never was able to have. I was terrified of having a girl. Also, I think I really wanted a boy because my mom had a boy for her first child. So I was like, that will bond us and that will connect us in this way. And you know, my gosh, you felt the same way. Same exact way. I like wanted a boy. I think all my friends were having boys also. So for that reason, also my brother was the first born. And so in my head, I wanted that like 
that hierarchy of like the boy being the firstborn. And we did actually end up finding out before she was born, we had a girl. But when we opened up that card, I cried because I was, I think I was just set up like we had, we were going to have a boy, which is so funny. I don't know. I just, and the, whatever, it's great. Now I have two girls. <laughs> I was like, when, when I had, a girl for my second, right? I was like, oh shit. I remember talking to one of my best friends. I'm like, now I'm going to screw up two girls, you know? <laughs> like, they're going <laughs> oh to feel all this pressure to be my best friend because that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted with my mom, right? Anyway, okay. I really want, I want to get back to this amazing definition that I found on mindbodygreen.com. It was an article written by Julie Nguyen, and then she quotes um, a bunch of licensed practitioners. And I just, I'm going to read this because I really feel like when I read it, I was like, ding, 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 ding. This is the definition that really speaks to me. And when I think about the mother wound, how I frame it in my mind. So I'm going to, I'm going to read. The mother wound is a concept that speaks to the generational pain inherited and passed down between grandmothers mothers and daughters caused by living in a patriarchal culture that's oppressive toward women. The cultural atmosphere of female oppression by the Western patriarchy conditions women to think of themselves as less than, not deserving, and not worthy, psychologist Nadine Makaluso says. By existing in such a society, women often grow up internalizing and then acting out disempowering messages that aim to socialize them into being a good girl, one that plays small, accommodates, tolerates, and is ultimately spiritually disconnected as they neglect and devalue themselves to take care of others first. These pressures can result in them suppressing their full capabilities and natural ways of being to serve the family system. If not resolved, this trauma then gets passed down to the next generation. Girls raised by mothers who've internalized these negative messages also grow up obediently taking on those learned oppressive standards to connect to their mother and interact with their surroundings. The mother wound includes the dysfunctional coping mechanisms of women, sacrificing their needs, denying their power and potential, and abandoning their authenticity, Macaluso explains. These strategies hammer home dysfunctional patterns like self-sacrifice, self-denial, and self-abandonment, which become highly dysfunctional traits in adulthood. The mother wound isn't an actual mental health diagnosis, according to clinical psychologist Jennifer Wolken but she describes it as a form of intergenerational complex trauma. You are highly impacted by your mother's own trauma response. In a way, you bond with your mother's trauma, including her limiting beliefs and coping mechanisms. So yeah, that's powerful to me. So powerful to me. Holy, holy moly. <laughs> that is... Like, I, first of all, I need that article. I need Jory that we will definitely have to have that in the show notes. I wish I could rehear that like 20 times. I feel really angry after hearing that. I felt really angry while hearing it. 
I'm just processing it all. I'll let other people talk, but I just wanted to give those initial reactions. I feel like it explains a lot, a lot of my rage that I that I'm still figuring out how to deal with. I'll say actually anger, if you know, you rewind to season one when we talked about anger, that's something that's the hardest for me to deal with. And it comes out, it's misdirected a lot. And I think this is a big source. Who else? Erin, I, I know you like, I know you, this is a powerful subject to you. Yeah. And I think, I think this like really long definition, I think really encompasses all that it is and just the complexity of it and how everyone has a connection to the mother wound. Whether your mom is alive or dead, whether you have a good relationship with her or not, whether or not there's been addiction, whether or not there's been like a specific kind of trauma. I just think that it's so all-encompassing. And this longer definition, like I, I haven't seen this one yet, but it just kind of blows me away of like, yep, there it is <laughs> for everyone to hear and to process and to apply to yourself, however it applies to you. Yeah. I like this. I want to reiterate what you just said, Aaron, too, about having this experience, but that if you're, if you are still in relationship with a living mother, this doesn't mean that you have a bad relationship. Like you could still have a really lovely, amazing, connected relationship. And those wounds still can exist, you know, both and duality, right? It's, it's, that is so true. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge because this isn't a place of like where we're coming to shame our mothers or to feel angry. I mean, we can feel angry, but that's not the intention of this to, to bring um, upset to people. It's really just awareness of this concept and uh, acknowledging that so much of this is unconscious too. This is again, generational. These are things that we don't even know the stories, some of the stories that created the trauma for the generations before us. Yet those stories are still impacting us now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I think this subject, the next few episodes, I'm, I think the most anxious I've ever been when it comes to a topic, because you know, we're kind of going to get into like speaking about our own mother wounds. And, you know, it's important to me to acknowledge and recognize that I had a great relationship with my mother. And yet I recognize generational trauma. Now I do. I recognize it. And I recognize how trauma responses showed up in our relationship with each other and how we communicated even though we had a great relationship, she loved me. I knew that. And I think that that's very important to distinguish like early on right now, no matter what, if your mom's dead or not, (laughs) there is a mother wound and a great relationship, or there's a mother wound and a bad relationship. All of these things can exist at the same time. And it's important to recognize. And I think for me, it makes me anxious to do these this topic because I'm not trying to like air my mom's dirty laundry, especially after she's no longer alive to even hear or defend or whatever. I think maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think maybe all of us kind of feel a little bit of that. Like Shadi is not, yeah, I'm just, so I just think that, you know, it's important to acknowledge these complexities exist all in one. 
And, you know, we're, we're not here to like shit on our moms. <laughs> right. That's where I was going in my head was that it actually reminds me of the dad's episode, right? Like I felt like I wanted to stay very respectful to my father and also be real about what has transpired. So it's like a balance and in a little bit of guilt in myself that I'm like, D- like, how much do you say, you know? And also she's not here to defend herself. Like my mom's not here. So feels a bit unfair as well. But I don't think that's the point. Like, you know, I think it's to acknowledge what has happened and how it has affected our own mother wound, you know? So I think, I think it's good intent. That's what I'm going to say. Well, I think it speaks also to what I was saying earlier, like this assumption that wound is bad. You know, like Aaron's saying, it's like dirty laundry and you saying, you know, you feel this guilt, like it's, she's not here to defend herself. Like it's something to be defended against. Rather, I mean, if these are truly wounds, this wasn't anyone's fault. You know, Christine, you made it clear this isn't, this isn't meant to elicit anger or shame anyone. My anger, I think is, you know, we'll probably get into later. That's probably part of my wounding and something I need to explore more, but this does make me feel angry. And I just think we need to remember or maybe try to challenge and unpack some more like the association or how we associate, you know, because we can say, oh, wounds aren't bad. But then we say things like, you're afraid that maybe she wouldn't want you to say this about her, you know, if she were alive is kind of what I'm hearing. Maybe for privacy concerns, like that's one thought I have of mine is like, would she have felt comfortable with me sharing some of this personal information, but when it comes to like her behaviors, like, you know, she liked to do drugs occasionally, like that. I don't feel, I don't feel ashamed for her for sharing because I feel like, I guess maybe that's easier to say too. Cause like it, it, it all depends, I guess, you know, cause our label, there's so much stigma, I guess, around different behaviors. So maybe that would influence too, like what we're comfortable sharing or talking about. I think I'm really feeling the need to remind all of us too, that these, a lot of this is just more about facts, right? The things happened in the lives of those who came before us that impacted them. They largely were not conscious of the ways that they were necessarily reacting to the things that happened, right? And their reactions were often based on what was modeled to them. I mean, so I I really am a big believer in that a lot of this conscious awareness is on our generation. I feel like the generations before us, there weren't conversations like the ones we are having now. I mean, there were, but I'm going to guess largely our people were not having those conversations, you know? And... So just reminding ourselves as we're talking about this and whatever you are willing to share, I welcome you to do that. But if you're not, that's okay too. And just, But, you know, just being easy on ourselves with understanding, I think when we're sharing, it really is just information, facts, right? And and then how, of course, how we perceive the mother wound is is our perception. And that's truth too, right? I mean, that if that's true for us, then that's true for us. It doesn't have to necessarily be true for your mom or your grandma or whoever before us, okay? 
Does that help? I don't know. I do want to say one thing from the holistic psychologist before we get into sharing our stories, because I think that is important and I'll get to why uh, shortly. But um, Nicola Para actually gives some real examples of the mother wound. And so I want to share those because I think that will be tangible for all of you and for our listeners. So she did a post on November 12th of 2021 that specifically speaks to false beliefs that come from the mother wound. So I'm just going to read the beliefs and you can see if these resonate for you. And then I'm going to ask us to jump into more of our personal stories. So the first is my body is something to be ashamed of, to hide or use to be loved. What people think about me is more important than how I actually feel about me. My value comes from being productive or busy. Parts of me are too much, too dramatic, too sensitive. People will only love me if I'm playing a role, like caretaker, fixer, peacemaker. If someone hurts or betrays me, it means there is something wrong with me. I need other people's approval or validation. Gossip is connection. The world is a place of scarcity, so I must compete, tear down, or judge others to accomplish something. So those are from her post. Um, I just love thinking about all of these, really, and how or if they showed up in my life with my mom. I have to say one thing that I really appreciate about my mom and when she mothered me is that she never gossiped. And so that was not modeled for me. So I did not, that became something really important to me as I got older to not do with my girlfriends. Like that was not a way that we were going to connect by talking shit about our other friends or, you know, and I don't know if I shared this before, but in my twenties, the group of us from college actually had an intentional conversation that we all agreed we would not do that with one another. And that if we had an issue we would come directly to one another. Oh um, and I was like, gosh. damn, we we're pretty mature. Like to have that conversation was, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I want to acknowledge my mom was really, really good about not connecting with her people in that way. So you guys know I'm a big believer in the power of stories and that telling stories is healing and connective. And so I really think it's important for us to think about and share ways right now where we feel or how we see the mother wound has shown up for us. And I think it would be really good for all of us to connect in this way, but then also hopefully we're going to validate our listeners in this as they think about how the mother wound has shown up in their own lives. So I'm going to start because I feel like you guys haven't really had time to prepare to think about this. Like I have been thinking about it for a little while. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways but I'm going to touch on some of the bigger ways that I think it showed up for me. And I'm going to go all the way back to my grandma, my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom. She was just so sweet and also so, so wounded. She grew up in a abusive home. Her father was an alcoholic. She was physically and verbally abused. I always, even as a young person, thought of her kind of like a little girl. I really did. I was like, oh, she's just so sweet and little and like, you know, and she also was physically small. So it was like, I just always, but I could sense that her heart was 
young, you know, her spirit was young. She was, you always kind of felt that from her, this childlike quality inside of her. And I know that my grandma's, how she was raised and the the struggles that she went through, she was very poor, very, very poor. She I had dropped out of school after eighth grade. She sold her and her sister would make paper flowers and sell them on the streets of Chicago. I mean, they were so poor and they were kind of the family that was like, you know, on the other side of the tracks type of just not, they were known in their neighborhood of being kind of trash or, you know, less than. And I think my grandma, I know my grandma really carried that with her a lot of shame. And, and so I, I know from my mom in the, even though my mom, died when I was 15. I know from my mom that my grandmother, she wasn't physically abusive, but she was emotionally abusive to my mother. And my mom, I remember her telling me it it had to have been closer to when she was sick and died because I was older when she shared this with me that, you know, she's, she told me she was very scared to have a girl that she went to a lot of therapy when she, when she just had children, she went to a lot of therapy, but she really wanted to make sure that she did not repeat the patterns of the verbal abuse that my grandmother put on her. I just got really sad. Yikes. Sorry, guys. That was weird. Don't need to apologize. What made you sad? Yeah. Just thinking about, you know, what she went through, what they both went through. I really don't have a full idea of the pain, especially for my grandmother. And then I think the way that that showed up as my grandma mothered my mom was, it was sad. Yeah. So, you know, I think that my mom and my grandma, partly because of societal expectations were, they were always the women that were serving others to the detriment of themselves. And that was definitely modeled for me. And I think that is probably the biggest wound that I have carried with me. I know I've talked about that before, you know, specifically like when my mom was really sick, she was dying. You know, she had a brain, her cancer was everywhere. And she ends up making a meal for a family who's, you know, the wife had a brain tumor and was dying. And I'm like, even at that time, I was like, what are we doing? Like, (laughs) you're so sick, but you're making a meal for someone else. And I don't know. I think Sarah, maybe you were the one who mentioned, well, maybe she really wanted to do that. But I, there is that sense of like, why are you feeling obligated to do that when you are, you're literally dying, right? Like that self-sacrifice, that self-denial, it's so apparent to me and so painful to see. And then I, for sure, I internalized that, you know, and really until recently, Again, I'm going to say my divorce was a huge turning point for me of saying, I'm going to end this pattern of putting everyone before myself. And largely because I wanted to model something different for my kids, specifically my girls, you know, ending that pattern, maybe not ending it, but, you know, at least making a mark here to say we can do something different. And it is really in relation to this mother wound. And the other area I I felt like it showed up was how my mom saw her body. And, you know, she was, she would say things not so much 
about herself that was super negative, but she would comment about my body. She was very small on the top and bigger on the bottom, but really actually she was like a size small on the top and a medium on the bottom. So just a little disproportionate, but she was still a small person. And she would often comment to me as I went through puberty, like, you're so much better proportioned than me. And so it was like a compliment, but it was really her saying something negative about herself, right? And I knew that. I sensed it. I was like, eh. I think we all could probably speak to the mother wound in in relation to body image. But for sure, that was another way that I felt like it came up for me and in my relationship with my mom and something I, I feel like I continue to carry with me. I am super aware about how I talk about my body in front of my kids. Again, especially my girls. But I know I've I know I've let it slip. You know, I know I've let it, let negative things slip, even when I haven't wanted to. It's years and years of conditioning. Like I think we have to remind ourselves that it's not even our fault. And hopefully, our kids will even be. I was going to say better, but again, we use these like very judgmental terms when we're trying to get away from judgment. So it's like, hopefully, our kids will just have a more holistic sense of what it means like to be beautiful, to be healthy, to look good, to feel good, because we, there was a very narrow view of that instilled in, you know, if you go back generationally and I can really relate, I, everything you said, like, as you're going through, I was like, check, check, you know, all the boxes, but what really resonates is like this self-sacrifice. And it's funny because now I feel like I've completely gone the, like I've taken a 180. I've like devoted my life to making sure, you know, through setting boundaries that I shall not sacrifice myself, that I will make, you know, I will make sure to put myself first as well as, you know, I've learned that doesn't mean I'm putting other, you know, I, it doesn't mean I don't care about other people. In fact, like it, it makes me more able to care about others. You know, all this stuff I've been preaching, all these affirmations. but. When you look back to when I had fallen subconsciously into this self-sacrifice patterning and conditioning that I didn't even, I was sacrificing a version of myself that like, like I didn't even know who I was fully and I'm still figuring that out. But I think that also speaks to the disconnected piece in the earlier definition of like, I was so disconnected from myself that I would sacrifice myself to feel like I belonged, to find some sort of meaning. That's what led me into like relationships that were unhealthy and that, you know, were hurtful and actually ended up harming me. It was that like that. And I know Aaron, like you've talked on this too. It's like, it shows up a lot in like intimate relationships for sure. But like, it showed up for me in my jobs too. Like I would overcommit, like say, you know, I could work all these hours and, um, you know, I would say yes to all of these like social engagements because I was afraid if I wasn't there, then, you know, I would be forgotten and people, you know, not consciously I was in like, you know, if you say it out loud, it sounds silly, but like in my head, I was like, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. And so it wasn't until I feel like I started to like figure out even what I wanted in life and what I want, 
I can like start to even put time and energy into like self-love is important, but I guess there's like, you have to know who, like what nourishes you in a way. And that took me a while to figure out and I'm still figuring out and I know it's going to change and continue to change over time. But for me, the mother wound has been learning to love thyself, I feel like. And I'm really, I am having a lot of just kind of like brain explosion moments, trying to think about like how all of this developed. Because again, I was four when my mom died. I don't know a lot about her history. I feel like our relationship was perfect from the ages of zero to four. I feel like it went flawlessly in my opinion. but. When I hear back about like her childhood, my grandmother, themes that come up are like uh, scarcity. They were also poor, you know, women caregiving, definitely that very traditional role. I know my grandmother had several different partners whom she had kids with and wasn't like back in the day, that was a big deal too. Like that was considered very promiscuous, I imagine. And I know that there was so like, I don't even know what to call that. I feel like that's putting a label on it, calling it promiscuous, but like whatever that means, like being like hypersexual, maybe, I don't know, using your body yeah, to achieve, to achieve things or to get things and just kind of risky behavior and like substance abuse, self-medicating and partying, really partying hard. Or in my case now I've developed like a love for like pleasures. Like I, I'm a pleasure seeker. I seek out comfort, pleasure, just like feeling good. Thank you, Sarah. That was really powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, that was really powerful to share. Thank you all for creating that space. Who wants to go next? I feel shad. Yeah, I can go. I'm like, I need to get. So I would go back to my grandparents as well um, for my mom. So my grandparents are from Lebanon. And when my grandma was early 20s, maybe even younger than that, my grandpa was 40-some. And he, my grandpa lived in the States. He came back to Lebanon, got my grandma. I'm not sure what the arrangement was. They came back and lived think in St. Paul for a while, but ended up in North Dakota. My grandma did not, I don't think she really spoke English at that time. And she never learned to read English ever or write English. I don't think. No, right. Anyways. So there were some major deficiencies, (laughs) maybe not deficiencies is the right word, but language barriers. Thank you. Language barriers, cultural barriers. And my grandma was you know, the, the typical, she was the cook and she, that was her role. And they, there was five kids ranging from a newborn, you know, a baby up to 24 years old. So my, yeah. So my mom, my grandma was like 40 some when she had my mom, my grandpa was like 70, nearly 70. Yeah. 65, 70 years old. Wow. Your mom was the youngest? Yeah, my mom was the youngest. Yep, she was the baby. So there's just a lot going on there. And then my grandpa died when my mom was 13. As a reminder, my mom died when I was 13. And you have to imagine that my mom had trauma from losing her father. 
my understanding is that he was, you know, a really great salesperson, but he was really had high expectations on his family and I'm not surprised based on who my mom was. And so, you know, I, it's just really interesting because my mom was hard on me. She had high expectations of me and I wanted to meet those expectations so much like that I would hold back conversation and sugarcoat things. And sometimes I see my oldest doing that with me because she knows what I want. And as much as it like makes me happy, it's irritating because I'm like, don't, you're your own person. You don't, you can say what you want, you know, like, so I, I do see that coming out in myself and, and my daughter. So she, yes, she's such high expectations of me growing up and just like how I communicate. And a lot of it's great to tell you the truth. Like I appreciate it now, but at the time I feel like I, growing up, I felt like I couldn't really be myself. Like the things I talk about now, I don't think I would be talking about. Like I'm pretty authentic and pretty real. I curse. I drink. Like, I don't know. My mom was much just more controlled. She controlled the amount of food. Like she really cared about her body as well. She was like six feet tall. She maybe had like a glass of wine or two. And I saw that and she loved to tan. She really cared about her appearance. And I remember one time, and I was just like more about my dad's body size, I guess. Still am. Pair, well, whatever. Small on the top, bigger on the bottom. And I remember my mom saying to me that I had, I was big boned, medium boned, something like that. And at that time, it actually made me feel better. I'm like, well, yeah, my bones are bigger. So of course I'm bigger, which I mean, I was like small, you know, but I've always had kind of a complex about the way I look and I feel best about myself when I am skinnier. I will just say that out loud. And I think, why don't I have more control like my mom? Why can't I only eat this many calories? Why can't I whatever? And that's just not me. I also think I enjoy life more. So <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I could go on and on. Hopefully that was respectful. <laughs> the way I just said that. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> what I can I ask what about that maybe feels like it wasn't? I don't know. I mean, just talking about how hard my mom was on me. Cause she was also really loving. But the loving isn't the wound, you know, like that's not the wound to me. And that's what we're talking about. You know, I know Sarah's like, but the wound can be positive. (laughs) (laughs) It's just complex, you know, it's like the language we use while it seems like superfluous, you know, like it might not matter. Like, I feel like it does really shape how we think about it and feel about it. And it's like sometimes wounds do cause like things to happen that, yeah, it's hard because you can take this like mindfulness, more objective approach, but that could also feel invalidating. I realize it at times too, of like, well, no, this did make me really angry and this did suck. Um, So whatever meaning. Yeah, I know. I understand the worry about wanting to make sure you're expressing yourself in a respectful way to your mom and also just reminding, you know, all of us that 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 was your experience and that's true. And also, you know, I'm going to guess that there was no ill intention for your mom, even if it shows up in a way that 
it feels like it was a wound right now. That, that was never her intention. Yeah. She just wanted us to be our best selves to the nth degree. And she expected that of us too, you know, it's not the worst thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So (laughs) I feel like I'm just going through kind of all these points in Nicola Perez, like posts that you derived all these, the false beliefs from and, you know, identifying with a lot of them. I mean, the first one, you know, my body is something to be ashamed of, to hide or to use, to be loved. I think that one speaks to me the most in terms of like, not just the mother wound, but like other trauma that I have as well. But yeah, certainly body image. And I think, I mean, I can personally stem that back to at the very least, um, my grandmother, my mom's mom making comments. Like when she was growing up as adults, my grandma will still make comments about people's bodies at family gatherings. My cousins can attest to this. We clock it every time. And I like to think of my specific generation in the family, like my cousins and everything is kind of these like cycle breakers. And we, we clock it every time and it's cringy and but it, it is what it is. And at this point we, we see it and we can leave it. But I think that that trickled down into like all of, you know, my grandma's kids and her daughters, she had three daughters and three sons. So, you know, my mom having like slim fast in the house and like talking about Weight Watchers and all of these things and never making necessarily disparaging comments about her body herself. Again, like we, we can really get into body image in the body image episode coming up. But um, Christine, you mentioned making comments, uh, making comments about my body. Again, never disparaging against my body. She never did that. However, she'd say positive things about my body and about, and, but it was, it was like backhanded toward herself. Yes. How she used to look, how she used to be before she got pregnant, before she got old, before blah, 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 all these things. And I didn't realize how much that affected me until, oh, quite later in life. And it's something that I carry with me. And growing up in the, you know, in the nineties, when I did magazines everywhere, ugh, body image, it so affects me to this day being pregnant now as well. That's another factor. So I think the value coming from being productive or busy is really big for me. And I think like, again, with my grandma, like self-sacrificing so much for the family. So my grandfather wasn't around a lot because of work or he wasn't emotionally available or he was yelling or angry or something like that. And my grandma just self-sacrificing constantly for her six kids and doing everything she could. And my mom taking that and my mom having to take on that role with me because she was a single mother without a supportive partner. My dad wasn't around a lot. And so self-sacrificing because she had to. But I also think she was really proud to do that. Mm -hmm. She was so proud to do that. It was... And I think from that stems, you know, her pushing me to do like so well in school and this achieve all these great things and go to college. And she had missed opportunities because she, just a lot of that exists for me that I'm still trying to break that my only inherent value comes from when I'm productive or when I'm achieving something. Um, I'm valuable simply for just existing, for being me instead of I'm only valuable when I'm accomplishing something that's worthy in the eyes of whoever. Parts of me are too much. I think my mom felt that a lot um, because I think she 
was told a lot throughout her life. She was too loud. She was too proud. She, um, she argued too much. She had all these opinions and she never really diminished that. She was always that person. But again, that was something I clocked and, you know, was just instilled with me. My mom never gossiped either, which I really appreciated. She strived for genuine connections, but often that meant like being a peacemaker or a fixer, especially within our family. And I think that that led to like not having a lot of boundaries and maybe me seeing that, like not understanding that a certain level of boundaries is healthy. So I think that kind of all rolls into one for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think those are a lot of the mother wounds that I like am working through, continue to work through and will continue to work through. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. I'll, I'll also say I got the message often that I was too much and, um, that sucks. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about that. <laughs> well, I want to thank all of you so much for being vulnerable, especially in this last part of our time together. I feel like we have just kind of cracked open something really big with this new series and I'm really excited to jump in into our next episode which will be the mother wound values uh, I think we just have a great base here for the rest of our conversations make sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode we release new content every other Tuesday in our next episode we'll be exploring the mother wound values part two of a four-part series. You can listen wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us at piecesofyoupodcast.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Pieces of You Podcast. If you love our pod, please rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We would so appreciate it. Take care of yourselves. And remember, if we work together, we can make the broken better. for you.